When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. (laughs) Yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought about space in my cramped apartment, but in this house, all I see is empty space. The sofa and ottoman look like tiny islands in a sea of hardwood floors. I could get two ottomans in the living room. But then I'd need another sofa. I could tell people I'm into minimalism. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. But then he literally threw me out of the mixing session, which would not happen now. I mean, here I was a 20-something girl in the 70s where the phrase women in rock was still, you know, a new thing. So here comes, you know, this bloke uh, throwing me out of the studio. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Vintage Rock Pod, the ultimate classic rock podcast that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks as always for hitting play. Now on this episode, I finally get to play out the interview I did with Ellen Foley. If you've listened to the tribute shows to Meatloaf and to those stars we lost in 2021, then you'll have heard her talking to me already. Well, you'll get to hear a lot more on today's show. She is famously known as the female singer on the Bat Out of Hell album, significantly paradised by the dashboard light, but she has also had a great solo career. She had a relationship with Mick Jones from The Clash and ended up singing on The Clash songs, and, and they worked on her album too. She also sang for for many others as well, including the Blue Oyster Cult, as well as having a career on Broadway, on TV, and in the movies such as Cocktail with Tom Cruise. So I'm really looking forward to you hearing my chat with her. But I just want to give you a few mentions first, though, to some people that have been in touch throughout the week. Uh, So a big hi to Mark Beavers, who said he met last week's guest, Ian Anderson, many years ago alongside Maggie Bell. Says he's met loads of stars, including Meatloaf and David Bowie. I think we may have to hear from Mark on a 
future episode, perhaps. Hello also to uh, Julian Caesar or Caesar for his kind words, and hello to Carl Watnerby and Karen Slicker. A shout out to Paul Graham as well for manfully continuing to update the Spotify playlist. He he's got one there called the Vintage Rock Pod Top Fives, and he basically puts all the top five song recommendations from each episode onto there, and it's building up one heck of a list for you. So check it out on Spotify and give it a like or a follow on there. Although I know right now Spotify is a bit of a taboo subject, isn't it? With uh, Neil Young, Joni Mitchell and Nils Lofgren, I believe, all pulling their music from the platform over the uh, Ferrari, shall we say, surrounding Joe Rogan. But um, let's move on. And last but not least, a shout out to Rod Boudreaux and to Miguel Aguilar as well. It's great to hear from you all this week. Now, on the Facebook group, we were chatting about favourite albums and I love seeing how different everybody's are. Uh, Michelle Verhus, apologies if I get your name wrong, I say that every week, Donor, going for Manfred Mann Earth Bands uh, live in Budapest, while friend of the show Andy Old said UK's UK album. Now, that's a band you don't hear about much these days. Alumni including uh, John Wetton and Bill Bruford, among many others, of course. Uh, Joey Michaud, who we know from previous posts, is a big Hendrix fan. His favourite album is, no surprisingly, Electric Ladyland, while uh, Eddie Dempsey chose Big Country's Steel Town, a classic. Lots of eclectic choices in there as well, from uh, Fiona Jack going for Mark Bolan and crew with T-Rex's Electric Warrior, and Kay Christian saying the White Album by the Beatles. Yes, legendary indeed. Uh, a couple of Pink Floyd shouts in there too. Jorge Amarillo, uh, he said Animals, and John L. Eichmann said Dark Side of the Moon, while Dom Tomaski going for Metal and Judas Priest's Screaming for Vengeance. Plenty of fantastic music there. Big thanks to everyone. I can't read them all out, but thanks one and all for interacting on Facebook this week. Now check out the Vintage Rock Pod social media channels if you haven't already done so. Give them a like or a follow. Or you can drop me an email as well. I'd love to hear from you. VintageRockPod at gmail. That's vintagerockpod at gmail.com and I'll give you a little mention on next week's show. I love to hear your stories about maybe the people I interview or maybe your dalliances with classic rock stars in the past. Anyway, but let's move on to this week's show then and let's turn to Ellen Foley. Now, I'll be honest, I did get a bit of criticism uh, recently from someone that there wasn't enough females on the show. Certainly not an intentional thing. We have had the queen of rock and roll, Susie Quattro, on the show and Canadian metal queen Lee Aaron on too and uh, very other authors and, and journalists and things like that but I have reached out and tried to get female rock stars on the programme in fact an interview with Go Go star new rock and roll hall of famers of course Kathy Valentine was cancelled on the day of the recording due to terrible weather in Texas at the time now when we think of classic rock and I look back at the 60s 70s and 80s it was uh, it was a different time back then, shall we say. The scene obviously dominated by, let's be honest, white males, which is reflected in the guests on the show. And you'll hear a story that Ellen tells in this very episode, which strikes home just how women were treated in the industry back then. So I'm delighted to be able to speak with Ellen, and I did so on January the 3rd. So this is obviously a few weeks prior to the sad passing of Meatloaf, so that's why there's no mention of that in this interview. But Ellen released a new solo album last year. It was uh, great to be able to highlight that. And she talks about the bat out of hell days, of course, the difficulty surrounding the mystery of the female singer on the album in the paradise by the dashboard light and why someone else took her place for the promotional duties in the video. There's, of course, chat about her time here in uh, England with Mick from The Clash and working with legends like Mick Ronson and Ian Hunter and her time on Broadway, too. There's loads and loads in this. But let's start the interview with her meeting with Jim Steinman and Meatloaf back in the 70s. The meeting with 
Meatloaf and Jim Steinman while you were performing on that National Lampoon show. I mean, how, let's start with how you, you finally met them and, and how the alchemy all started from there. Well, it was, you know, a, your typical, you know, you audition for a show and you get the part. And uh, we ended up touring. It wasn't, a, you know, a tour where you have your own uh, private jet. Let me put it that way. <laughs> we, were in, we were in this blue van schlepping around the country and you get to know people pretty well. And that's when Jim was uh, writing the songs, writing the Bad Out of Hell songs. And, uh, you know, the, there was singing in the show. So he got into my singing and, and as he was writing Paradise, basically um, wrote it for me and me and we would be working on it with him, like in the afternoons before shows, you know, he'd, he'd find a piano somewhere, wherever we were. Wow. And, um, and when he was creating those songs from the, from, you know, whole cloth, from nothing. Incredible. So from that stage then, I mean, obviously that's, that's the very early point of that album and that record and those songs coming together. Could you feel that they were special even from that very beginning? Oh, yeah. Because they had an amazing pop sound, rock and roll sound. There were, you know, the melodies and stuff that you can relate to. And, and you might have heard somewhere in other, in other music that you grew up with. But there was a completely unique point of view. I mean, particularly in the lyrics. You certainly never heard anything as um, sophisticated, as poetic, and, and as dramatic as that. You know, Springsteen, well, I mean, I think Springsteen uh, influenced Jim. You can hear that in the big sound as well, of course, Phil Spector. But I think that those writers were, were pretty much, uh, what should I say? I don't want to say Springsteen was more basic, but, you know, wrote, wrote about, you know, driving yeah. around in cars, you know, and eventually Bruce started writing about the working man. But at that point, and then Jim comes out with death and angels and um, sex in the front seat of a car, you know, stuff you haven't heard before. <laughs> Absolutely. And then obviously you sang on that record and the record went to become one of the biggest records of all time, 50 million plus sales and things like that. But at that point, you weren't able to promote that, were you? You were, you, Although you were the, the, the female singer on the record, you weren't the one that could tour it. You weren't even in the video, were you? That's right. I was not. How did that feel at the time then? Because obviously it's great that you, you had work, but uh, at the same time, this record's going and, and you couldn't be part of that kind of movement. I was, you know, soon after I was working on demos for my own record deal. And, you know, I was in films and TV and uh, stuff like that. But it was, you know, a choice I made because I knew that I had my own uh, future that was coming in the very near future. So it was a decision I made, yep. you know. And, you know, it was it was rough, you know, for for a while there, I have to admit that when the video was out there, you know, people thought that Carla was singing it, you know, which could have been avoided. I mean, come on, you know, who does that? Well, we know who did, does that, we know who did that. But uh, <laughs> but like I always say, through the years, people know me. And if they don't know, I, I it was me singing by now, you know, who cares? Absolutely. And as life comes full circle, you mentioned Carla there, who is almost the face in a way, but she actually sings on a song on your new record, doesn't she? And it's a fantastic upbeat pop song or rock song. And it's great to see you guys are friends and everything like that, which is fantastic. Yes, we, we over the, the last, I guess, five or six years, we have become really good friends. I just spoke to her on New Year's Day oh, and we have a 
we have a very strong connection. You know, I just, she's wonderful. Good stuff. So let's just talk about that. I mean, your album, Fighting Words, it, it came out last year. We, we'll talk about that song with Carla now. I'm just happy to be here. It is an upbeat rocking song and it, it's a lot of fun. And, and the video is a lot of fun too, isn't it? Oh, good. You saw the video. Yeah. It's just too bad at this point in time. There's not, there's not an MTV or somebody where, where that video could get more exposure more because yeah, I just think, you know, it's out of sight. I mean, it's on, on YouTube and then it's on Vimeo, which I didn't even know existed before uh, <laughs> this time. But, you know, I just think the thing could really could. I mean, and I got so much response, you know, from women that they felt yeah. it was empowering because it was about, you know, yeah, how you should be happy with your life as it is. But, you know, the life you had in the past was meaningful. But and it is about the relationship between me and her, too, which maybe people knowing the past, knowing that it could have been like some sort of, you know, meow thing. Uh, <laughs> but it ended up, you know, with two mature women who really love each other. And a great friendship, absolutely. So I definitely recommend yeah. everyone check out the video because, like I said, it is a lot of fun, an awful lot of fun. You can tell that both of you are having a lot of fun in the video as well in the making of that. So. Oh, it's, it was just great. It was just so much fun, yeah. And it's nice to see some of the flashback footage as well from both of you in that video. Right. I'm, I'm like, woo, hot. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> um, in terms of the album itself and Fighting Words, first new solo album in eight years. Um, as I said, it's released last year. Tell us about your thoughts around that album then, the creating of it. Was, was it planned pre-COVID kind of world shutting down sort of thing? Yes, it was. Uh, because it, it had been, even, even pre-COVID, we, we all did it in our own corners. And it was interesting the way it came together. Yeah, I, you know, it was Paul Faglino, who I've worked with for several years. We did a, uh, a record uh, 2013, you know, called About mm -hmm. Time. And then there was this period in between. And he had been coming to me with songs. And I was sort of, you know, lukewarm about things. Okay, you know, I'll do, I'll, in my living room, I'll do vocals. And then it turned out, you know, he... He had been sending, uh, you know, rhythm tracks to all the uh, to all the players, to, uh, to Slim Simon, our guitar player, Charlie Roth. And he had done he had done uh, the bass and uh, and drums with Steve Golding. We my great back backing singer, uh, Ula Hedwig. Everybody got the tr tracks and did it on their own and sent them back. Then I did um, I did the vocals in in uh, in my living room here in New York. Incredible. And, and, you know, once again, I was like, okay, Paul, I'll do this for you. You know, he keeps <laughs> bugging me. Okay. All right. And then it comes out and everybody's like, wow, this is great. So all of a sudden I'm like, wow, this is great. <laughs> so if he's writing songs and coming up with things like that for i've heard you said that it's a the album a lot of the songs have got personal connections they represent something that you've made it through in life so so how do you take well how does paul take your ideas and and form them into songs and how does that process work well i think because he's been with me and, and he and i you know have a we, we have a very comfortable relationship with each other neither of it he's definitely not somebody who i think really opens up a lot to people and I, I'm, I stay a little to myself and, but uh, we spend time together and, and, you know, we really talk about things and, and, and he, he takes what he knows about my life or, you know, or stuff that's going on. All the songs aren't necessarily 
biographical or anything like that, but stuff that fits together in terms of what's going on in his world and my world at this point. Good stuff. And like I said before, it's a proper upbeat rock and roll record and it's out now. You can get your hands on it if you want to. The best way to, to find out about Fighting Words is and anything to do with Ellen is to go to your website, isn't it? EllenFoley.com and your social media and that sort of thing. And we can follow you and see what you're up to and, and where we can get hold of that record, especially here in Europe. There is a way you can actually get hold of a physical CD through through a company as well now. I think so. Yeah. Yes, there are there are CDs and there are some um, signed CDs that that people kind of snatched up that I, we can we can always do more. But there it's definitely findable. It's there. You know, I mean, on, on um, Amazon and all all the your all your regular places. Absolutely. Yeah. And speaking of solo records, let's jump back to the 70s and, and talk about two of the legends you worked with, Ian Hunter and, and Mick Ronson, on your first solo album, Night Out, which featured the big hit, We Belong to the Night. Now, what was it like working with, with Ian and Mick around that time? Because we spoke about the end of the kind of paradise and things like that. You were working on, on your album with these guys, weren't you? Yeah, well, it, it took a little time. Um, Steve Popovich, who was sort of the, the, the father of all this, you know, he, he signed Meatloaf and... <clears throat> he signed me, you know, straight away. And he and I had been working and doing demos. And, and then he, uh, he introduced me to Ian and Mick. And we actually went up to the Bearsville studio, which was Todd Rundgren's studio, where Paradise had been recorded, did some, did some demos up there. And we all were agreeable with each other. You know, it, it, I, I think that, my ignorance at the time sort of uh, was in my favor because I didn't really know that much about Mott the Hoople. And I knew that Mick had played with, with, <laughs> with Bowie and all that. But if I had been like, you know, a super fan, I probably would have been paralyzed, you know, with, with, uh, with adoration. But as it was, yep. I just got to know them as, as artists and people. And then, of course, as time went on, I was like, holy crap, <laughs> look, look, look. Look who look who's here, you know. <laughs> and what was it like being in the studio then with with those guys? I mean, them bringing their experience to it, and you you having had your experience with with the meatloaf sessions and everything. What was it like being in the studio with those two? Well, I think you know, particularly Ian, because Ian Ian was kind of like the I won't say father, but kind of the boss guy. Mm -hmm. And and a couple of times, you know, I got the the impression that he said, "Oh, she's a Broadway singer," which I have done Broadway, but I'll say flat out, I am not a Broadway singer. <laughs> so he kind of gave me crap about that a little bit. And we had we had uh, run-ins during the during the uh, mix of the record because I was I was in there with the mix, and of course, all I was doing was sitting there telling them the telling him the vocals should be louder, <laughs> more vocals, more vocals, and which I think some of it I was right. But then he literally threw me out of the mixing <laughs> session, which would not happen now. I mean, here I was a 20 something girl in the seventies <laughs> where, you know, the, uh, the phrase women in rock was still, you know, something uh, interesting, you know, a new thing. So here comes, you know, this bloke, as you guys would say, <laughs> uh, throwing me out of the studio, you know, but uh, otherwise it was a ball. I mean, I remember this, the sessions for things like um, Young Lust, right? Yep. Which, which was um, just, uh, you know, with the lights down and, and Ronson playing that, you know, heart full of stone uh, 
a guitar riff and and was just like improvised, you know, I mean, stuff like that, you know, because because, um, you know, uh, theatricality had a place because Ronson came from such a theatrical place. So he, you know, he certainly got it. And Ian did, too, even though he gave me crap. (laughs) But it was, but you know, I'm not a, you know, I did Broadway, but because I'm kind of a chameleon, I was able to do it. But just being back doing rock and roll these this past these past, you know, it from nine, um, 2014 on, I've also been going over to the Netherlands and Belgium and performing a lot too. So I just been getting back to real roots. I was supposed to go today oh. over to the Netherlands. This is the third time it's been oh, canceled no. because of COVID. I was supposed to go the spring of uh, 2020. I was supposed to go last spring then and then today, this week. <laughs> uh, and uh, not happening. What a shame. So, what a shame. Hopefully at some point it all calms down and we can all get back to normal. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, just touching again on your, on your second album then and, and some of the things that happened around the second album. I mean, obviously it's famously documented that you, you dated Mick Jones from The Clash and um, they were obviously a huge band as well. And that led to a really cool collaboration between yourself and, and, and Mick and Joe and the rest of the band Topper and all that sort of stuff. Not only on, on your second album, Spirit of St. Louis, but on, on their albums as well. You sang songs on, on Sandin Easter and other things like that. I mean, obviously, personal things aside, I mean, how was that as a as a working relationship with you guys? Uh, it was fun. I was a little bit fish out of water. I was I felt like I was back in the studio with Ian Hunter because vocally I didn't think I was at my I was able to do my, you know, real rock and roll peak. You know, I mean, in this show we were just about to do, we were doing um a little mashup of Torchlight, which was from my second album, and uh, Hitsville UK, which, you know, I, I, Hitsville UK is basically me, you know, multi-tracked. And uh, we were going to do a great version of it, and I was excited about that. But it was, uh, it was, it was a whole, you know, new experience for me, a, you know, a life experience, you know, being in this... Um, I mean, it was like, what, 79, you know, two years after 1977, when, you know, these guys and they and, they and, and other people created a, a whole new sort of genre and uh, and and life. Uh, but, you know, and here I am like, hello, uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> How I got into that. But anyway, I always say that <clears throat> life experience adds up to where you are right now. And I'm good. I'm good. I'm cool. Life is great. And what was it like being in the UK then around that time, coming over here and, and experiencing all that sort of it stuff? It was, you know, a little bleak for me. Uh, yeah, you know, that was, you know, right in the middle of the Thatcher stuff. And I just always remember something that's like emblematic for me is like when the pubs closed at nine or 10 o'clock, there would just be people outside of pubs just beating each other up, you know, because... They, you know, their, their outlet, they've been cut off and, but it it was a little rough and and coming from New York, really, I had just, I mean, it's so crazy how compressed my, my experience was in that, that decade, because I had just, you know, moved to New York from the Midwest, from St. Louis in 1972. And here, you know, eight years later, here I am in a whole other, whole other scene. Whole other lifestyle. Whole other movie. Yes, a whole indeed. Other movie. 
And speaking right. of which, we should touch on that. I mean, you did do another solo album after that, Another Breath. And then as you speak about movies, I mean, you, you appeared again on stage. You did TV shows. Um, and then you, Hollywood came calling and you appeared in some huge films as well, Married to the Mob and Fatal Attraction. And alongside a certain Tom Cruise in Cocktail. I mean, how was that? <laughs> it was great. You know, I kind of felt like, woof, now I can, because after the, the third album, you know, I wasn't getting a lot of support from the record company and it was sort of a negative experience. And just, you know, I was like, fine, uh, that's 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 my commitment. Um, and and I was really lucky that I switched gears and, you know, started getting all this work and great work. You know, I did. Yeah, I did two Broadway shows. I did this me and my girl then did Into the Woods, which was just like the most spectacular piece of performing I ever got to do. Stephen Sondheim. The witch who was just really dark. This one of the producers came back after one of the performances on Broadway. But he said, "Oh, you're like a female Mick Jagger," which is the <laughs> thing I've wanted to hear my entire <laughs> life. Um, but that's a whole other show, you know. And the and the movies and t- you know it was a great time. And uh, I met my husband when in 1989 when I was t- just at the end of the run. Uh, it's, it's sort of interesting the way things move. The, 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 the uh, Into the Woods was just ending. I made him. I'd made him. I didn't make him. I met him. <laughs> I met him, but I made him too. Uh, and then, you know, in the, over the next year or so, I was married and had a kid, which, you know, took me away from everything because I had two of them, kids, uh, for a long time. And I think I got very gun shy about going out there, especially since I wasn't doing music, I didn't want to audition for things. You know, I was like, no, no, no. And then uh, the show in, I guess, 2008 came along and where I met Paul and we started, you know, writing songs and gigging and then made the wreck. You know, so everything has added up to be. And then coming back, you know, that, that this whole thing was really unexpected, you know, and we we are ending up on a couple of of lists, you know, Paul Zalo, you know, is a great uh, journalist, lists of, of best records of 2021. So I'm like, lovely, you know. Absolutely. And you talk about coming back and you talk about gigging there. I mean, you've done some shows the back end of 2021. And how nice is it to be out in front of people again and performing your songs and performing your new material too? It was great because I have a really good band. And I have now this musical director's name's Charlie Roth. He also played on the record, you know, just somebody who's who's such a pro who I don't have to worry about anything but getting up there and singing. And and we did um, one show at this place, you know, called the Bowery Electric. And it was this tiny place with people standing up. It was like, you know, an old rock gig. And it was so great. And then we were, you know, thinking, oh, good, 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 good. We're going to keep playing, you know, and had this had this gig booked in this bigger gig, this sort of sit down, more grown up place, a cutting room. I already told you the sad story about that. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you, Ellen. I hope you, you have a fantastic future coming up. I hope everything settles down and you get to perform all your gigs that you've got lined up, even in 2023. Me too. Okay, bye-bye. The wonderful Ellen Foley there. Check out her new album, Fighting Words, and give her a follow on all the social media channels. Right, it's the time of the show where I give you my top five, and in this week I'm going to do it in tribute to the legend that is Meatloaf. Now remember, this is my personal choice. I don't claim it to be the definitive list. It's not a critic's choice. No, it's very subjective, and it's okay if you do not agree with this top five. But I would like to hear your top fives in response. 
But here we go. My favourite five songs from Meatloaf according to Vintage Rock Pod. At number five, well, if you'd have asked me a week ago, then this song wouldn't have made my list. Not because it's not a great song, but because it's one that had kind of passed me by, if I'm being honest. But my guest on the Meatloaf tribute show, Stephanie Myers, pointed this one out, and I've played it a lot these last few days. It is a great song. It's upbeat and rocking, and it's tucked away in the middle of his 2006 album, Bat Out of Hell 3, The Monster Is Loose. And because I've played it so much, recently it's going in at number five. And number five is Alive. At number four is a song that will appear in pretty much everyone's list, I think. It was so different, and you'll hear it at most karaoke bars at least once every night. It's in three sections, it changes pace countless times, and is a ball of, well, sex, sweat, and humour. From the Bat Out of Hell album, at number four is Paradise by the Dashboard Light. At number three is one from the Bad Out of Hell 2 album in 1993. Jim Steinman said that this was the hardest song to write and get across. It's deep and dark subject matter, hauntingly biographical. It builds and builds and the haunting memories are always met with the lines like, it was long ago or far away, hence the title. At three is, objects in the rearview mirror may appear closer than they are. At two is a song that never fails to get you going. It's a rollicking, upbeat, rousing song that pounds along at 100 miles per hour. A duet with Cher that comes from the album of the same name from 1981. And number two for me is Dead Ringer for Love. And at number one, maybe a fairly obvious choice, but it's a song that literally came out of nowhere. When it came to recording the album, the critics panned the idea, thinking it laughable in this time to hark back to the bat-out-of-hell days of the late 70s. But what did they know? It catapulted Meatloaf back into the mainstream. It went to number one in 28 countries around the world. It was the biggest-selling song in the UK in 1993. You heard it all the time, you heard it everywhere, and it may be cliche, but it's a brilliant song and one that's always stuck with me. My favourite Meatloaf song and the number one song according to Vintage Rock Pod is I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. So there you go, my favourite five songs from the mighty Meatloaf. As ever, there were a ton of other songs I could have chosen. Likes of Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth, Hot Patootie, Rock and Roll Dreams Come True, Life's a Lemon for Crying Out Loud, uh, Bat Out of Hell, of course, as well. 
but it is my choice and that's what I've gone with. It has been an interesting week or so since the passing of Meatloaf. Everywhere I've gone, you get to hear Meatloaf and, and people just really, really appreciating the music that he, he developed. I mean, I was in HMV, which is, for anyone that doesn't know, or from overseas, it's a, it's a huge music store here in the UK and they're playing the Batter of Hell album in full. I got back in the car from that very trip and absolute classic rock we're playing bat out of hell it's just one of those things that is everywhere at the moment and it's lovely to see but as ever i'd love to hear your thoughts on my list where do you agree where do you disagree with my meatloaf selection get in touch and tell me what your top five meatloaf songs would be get them in order as well because i love to hear that drop me an email vintagerockpod at gmail.com and i'll give you a mention on next week's episode i'd also like to ask you to share the the word of vintage rock pod tell your friends tell your family tell your work colleagues tell anyone who likes classic rock really just to check out the show if you can also leave a five star rating on spotify should i whisper that on spotify because there's a new section where you can do that nowadays you just click onto the podcast section and you can rate it there so give us a five stars on spotify please or you can give us a five star review on apple podcasts it really does help with the show's visibility helps me to reach out to more different people as well and and grow the crowd of followers following this podcast series and the best bit is it's absolutely free for you to do as well and i've got some great guests lined up for the coming weeks some varied styles and different eras too with different tales to tell so you don't want to miss out if you haven't already please do check out the Vintage Rock Pod social media channels. Click like or comment on the posts just to make sure you don't miss any. The algorithms stop showing you things from groups you don't interact with. So it's always nice to to click on them. And uh, subscribe to the channel on YouTube as well, where you'll find various videos from interviews I've done throughout the series. And if this is your first listen, then thank you very much for doing so. But make sure to follow or subscribe to Vintage Rock Pod on whatever podcast platform you use so you don't miss any new episodes dropping. They usually come out every Monday so please do check the back catalogue as well with some incredible big name guests I've had on the show a whole host of superstars multi-million sellers Grammy Award winners Rock and Roll Hall of Famers you name it there's so much to enjoy they've all got great rock and roll stories to tell as well so some of the people you may not think you know a lot about listen to these stories because they are fantastic anyway that's it for episode 51 then until the next one remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of classic rock just tell them my music is better than yours Take care. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? 
That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you can find options that fit your budget. Because giving you options is the right thing to do. Oh, yeah, like when I hold the door for someone. Sure, it may be weird if I don't time it right, and they're a little too far away, and oh, now they're running. And we're both asking ourselves, is it worth it to run instead of just, you know, letting them open their own door? But still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.